Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to today's show on World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And it's a nice, cool day. It's not even 80. I think it was 99 yesterday. And now it's 80, so uh, things are turning into fall, which which is rather nice. Uh, today, I welcome Kai um, White into the show, and who, along with Leonidas Konstantakos, is the co-author of a wonderful book entitled, uh, and it's about uh, Stoicism, it's entitled Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In. A title which I like because a lovely play of various meanings there that would appeal to any Stoic, I think, ancient or modern. We'll talk more about that title in a minute. Uh, Kai's based at the, uh, the Catholic University at Louvain in Belgium, currently is living in, in Portugal, and is a researcher and environment and environmental sustainable in su- environmental sustainability and Stoic philosophy. Um, He's also actively engaged in uh, Stoic uh, studies and discussion groups uh, worldwide, but also is a Lego enthusiast. That's nice to know. And uh, he, he would like to, uh, if, if there was uh, n- no limits to his life, he had the secret desire is to be the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars NFL football team. That's cool. So it's a pleasure to welcome Kai Whiting to today's show. Glad you're with us. Thank you, Reverend Poy. I really appreciate being here. You know, when most people hear the word stoic, they think of someone who uh, can uh, endure hardship, right, without pain um, or complaint. Uh, it, that's the commonly received definition. But, but being a Stoic is, is more than that, isn't it? It's not just about somebody that puts up with, with hardship and, you know, toughs it out. Um, it, I mean, it's a whole system of understanding and belief. So tell us why that definition isn't quite accurate. That's a really good question, Paul. So, yes, most people, when they think of the word Stoic, think Stoic little s, which means, like, just, as you've just explained, but the big S Stoic, where the little s Stoic word comes from, is a school of philosophy. 
Hellenistic philosophy, ancient Greek and Roman philosophy, to be precise. And it's a virtue ethics framework, which means that we don't have rules like thou must always do, other than one must always strive to be virtuous. So I'll give you an example. A Stoic is called to always do what is appropriate. But what is appropriate will depend on the situation at hand and will depend on somebody's role. So, Reverend, I might give you the example of that you and I, we walk down the street and we see somebody who is ill. And if we value that person's life and we make a decision, yes, we value life and we want to help them, then we may we may decide, okay, Paul, do you know first aid? And you'd say, possibly, yes, I do, Kai. So then it would be appropriate for you to administer first aid. But it wouldn't be appropriate for me because I'm not first aid trained. So maybe whilst you're doing first aid, I should be making the phone call to get a paramedic. So it's not like I have to always do something. It's who are you? What do you know? How can you help? Because me trying to administer first aid is actually against tourism. It would be ignorant, wouldn't it? It would be unwise. I might actually do more harm than good. So that's uh, that's the key thing. It's a way of looking at life and saying, I want to progress. I want to I want to live a virtuous life, which means a life worthy of being lived. But what I do really does depend on a moment by moment situation. Is that helpful, Paul? Yes, and I like the idea. I've always liked the idea because uh, I'm a big fan of Marcus Aurelius, and I like the idea of uh, being in alignment um, with with your higher lights. You know, yeah. And you have a chapter on um, on on virtue, right? Which which today has become a kind of an old fashioned word. You know, we hardly use it actually. But uh, to to follow the higher virtues in unity, we might call them divine ideas, divine qualities. Um, Excuse me, this phone's going off. I got to stop that. Um, yes, you know, it's, it's always been appealing to me that idea of being in alignment. Also, you know, the Stoics talk a little bit about the um, the logos, right? The the idea that there's a harmony within everything that we can be in aligned with, and a harmony within our own being. You know, knowing the right thing to do at the right in the right way at the right time, if you like. Correct. So there is a logos. It's 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 a, some similarities with the Christian concept of the logos. And since the Christians say it's the word, I always take to mean it's the it's wisdom from God on high, right? It it's the sense of self. It's about knowing who you are. And from a Christian perspective, by do, to know who you are is to see yourself in Christ, isn't it? Which is why Christ is the word and is God and with God. So the, the Stoics would also say that, that the Logos is divine reason. It comes from, a, you know, it comes from God. Uh, God is not necessarily a he, but God itself. So when I align myself with Logos, with God, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm living rationally. I'm seeing the world for what it is not for what I want it to be, which is why we have this little estoic saying, well, okay, I may, be, I may be experiencing something, but if I wish to suffer emotionally, that's, my, you know, that's something I must choose. Do I want to do that? Is, is that helpful? Will that change my reality? So the, the, stoic, the stoicism, although people like to sort of slide into stoicism when they've kind of got confused in their Christian faith or perhaps their Islamic faith or another faith, does have God in it, which is quite... Um, controversial there are certainly a lot of contemporary stoic uh, practitioners who see stoicism as a atheistic interpretation of the world and that's just simply not true the stoics were very clear that what we what we ought to do comes from an objective yardstick and that objective yardstick is god 
Um, so part of the Logos is, is not quite Christian, uh, Christian because it has a pantheistic. There's two elements. It does have something that the Christians would certainly sense because you have things like him to Zeus from Cleanthes and Epictetus, who's another uh, important Roman, who's important Roman stoic, talks about, you know, knowing God and almost uh, personified elements of God. But most of the really early stoics will see God as a sense of nature. Uh, pantheistic interpretation and that's why living according to nature really does invoke and, and imbue this sense of walking around nature and sensing the world for what it is and not for what you would like it to be right and i think that's hugely important isn't it because we sent we spend so much time um, in reaction to things right um instead of facing them fearlessly you know we we say, ain't it awful that this is happening? Or if something good happens, then look how great I am that I've attracted this to myself. And both are kind of illusions, right? We're, we're indulging ourselves rather than being present to what is, you know, which which I like. Um, and, and stoicism is that uh, willingness, if you like, to look honestly and openly at what is, right? So, so that we can be useful. Otherwise, we're spending so much energy um, reacting and, and hiding from reality, really. And, the you know, modern society seems to be filled with that, right? The, the We're escaping rather than looking because uh, we don't like what we see oftentimes. Oh, you're absolutely right, Paul. It always makes me fo- smile when people say God is never changing. And yet when God gives us something, it's like God loves us. And then God takes something away. God doesn't like us anymore. God doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> so if God is unchanging and God God is love, for example, then God always loves us. The fact that we think that God is taking something away from us may or may not be true, but it's not out of spite because a lot of people say, oh, you know, God, God no longer favors me. Well, if God is no longer is never changing, then God always favors you. If that's a, that's an element of God. So it's really interesting that we do. You're absolutely right. We we see something and then we, we interpret it. We perceive it as opposed to just simply observe it. And there is some value in being a, there's a lot of value, the Stokes would argue, uh, to distinguish between the two. What is happening right now, so you and I are having a conversation, Paul, but also how we feel about it and to be able to go, okay, maybe I feel really positive, positive about it. What does that say about, about me? What does that say about the conversation I'm having with Paul? But the conversation per se is the only thing that we can both say, that's exactly what's happening. And a lot of, I mean, Christians would say the same, that, a lot of things that we feel says more about us than it does about God. So when we get frustrated with God, that says about our, for example, our lack of gratitude rather than God taking something away or God being harsh with us. And I think a lot of people, if they were able just to reflect for a moment of, OK, God is seemingly taking something away from me. Is that what happening or is it that I'm just seeing that that way? I'm sure you would tell your congregation the same thing. Uh, wouldn't you say so? Well, I think there's a lot of people who are tired of that kind of God, you know, and they, they call themselves spiritual, but not religious, right? Because uh, religion seems to lead down a path that, that leads to judgment, if you like. And, uh, whereas being spiritual allows us to be more expansive. And some people might even take it further and say, well, I don't even want to be spiritual because that's a label too, right? And uh, another thing I like about Stoicism is it's beyond the labels, right? It's it's not about um, do it this way and all will be well. It, it's about skillfully moving through life. And, you know, the Buddha talked about that, you know, talked about skillful means, w- ways of living that uh, 
helpful and um, not it's not just skillful means in always doing the virtuous thing but it's doing the deeply wise thing like you said we're skilled in certain areas not in others and we can bring our own unique flavor right so so when we act, live authentically you know as the stoics did i think or they attempted to you know then the world begins to change and hence the title of the book is so nice isn't it because it's um it, it, your, your first reading, okay, being better, there'll be the emphasis on better, but then you, you know, you shift it and you say, oh no, I understand being better. Um, then I become something. I am something, right? Who am I? I am being some someone, uh, and that's a shift, isn't it, from trying to perfect something to simply be something. You know, you're you already got the perfection within you. But can you can you loose that? Can you can you allow that to express in your life? Absolutely. I mean, the Stoics are very clear that we want to be the round peg in the round hole, right? A lot of the time, we are the square peg trying to fit into the round hole. So again, it's it's when we look at the virtue from a Stoic perspective, it's not an external thing. It's not out there. It's crafting a character that is incapable of being vicious, is incapable of being unjust, incapable of being ignorant, morally speaking, incapable of being greedy. And that's what stoicism is about. It's literally taking a block of uh, a block of granite, so to speak, and crafting it into a shape that is such that it's completely in tune with God. That is the art of stoicism. That is the art of living. But many people get confused and they get they think about the self-help space. So I often have a joke that when we ask, you know, Paul, what do I do to be like you? And you give me A, B, C, D. And then I say, okay, then I'll get one, two, and three. You say, yes. And I go, okay, for example, so if you ask me to, to get that toilet paper off the top shelf, what would I have to do? And you might say, Kai, stand next to me, hold your hands out, stretch those fingers and grab the toilet paper off the top shelf. And I just might be three inches shorter than you and I need a step. So this is the, the issue that I have with, you know, self-help is that it's a formulaic rather than as to what you were saying about envisioning how you can craft a character, how you can craft, how you can create a path, not to follow mechanically steps but that somebody else has achieved with, but to create your own steps. That is stories. Right. There's, there's a lovely cartoon about um, equity, right? You, you may have seen it on Facebook, whatnot, but it has three people looking over the, or trying to look over a fence and, um, they're different sized people. Well, you know, if you're small, you can't see over the fence. So, so you, you need a step to be able to stand on so you can see over the the, the large person, you know, can already see and and then it's, and so on. So the idea is that, um, you know, equity has to be um, more than just, well, here's your opportunity to look over the fence because, you know, everybody needs extra um you know, some people need a, a, a stool, other people don't. In other words, um, you can't just say, well, here, here's the answer and that's it, right? There, there's you know, there's unique um, ways of approach for each person. You know, a few years ago, um, you, the, what was it? The Art of War was the latest and coolest thing, right? And everybody was reading that. And um, and the, the Tao of this and the Tao of that. Now, now Stoicism seems to be uber hip and cool and you know there's all these blogs and whatnot uh, and and you take some of these to task that you, you know, i think you have a term um what was it silicon valley stoicism uh what, what's that about i think any any philosophy or religion we tend to craft it our own image for 
And yeah. the fact that Silicon Valley has a lot of money and the fact that it has a lot of influence does explain to me quite, you know, quite strongly why uh, stoicism has occupied what is, you know, the space that is occupied. Yes, it has helped during the pandemic. Yes, it has some elements, but that's not necessarily why it's sort of been shown to be helpful to to the masses, right? Because that was always the case, always been helpful. But the fact that Silicon Valley is able to like beam uh, a philosophy that they like uh, is because of the power that they have. And of course, they focus on certain elements. So they'll focus on the fact that you can have a Roman emperor, which is quite a you know, sexy way of, of looking at philosophy that, oh, I have the philosophy of a Roman emperor, or I have the philosophy of a, a Roman senator, Seneca. So they create a very crafted, carefully crafted image of what Stoicism is to them. And they ignore, for example, the fact that Zeno of Citium was an immigrant. He he was middle class, but he had a shipwreck, became quite poor and impoverished. Cleanthes, who was the next lead of the uh, head of the story, he was a boxer. He was lifting water, heavy jugs at night. He was extremely poor. They don't focus on those things, Paul, because they're not the Stoics that allow them to emphasize wealth and say, well, you can be Stoic and make loads of money, as Marcus Aurelius uh, shows. And they kind of ignore the fact that Marcus Aurelius is actually really known for saying, okay, do not, de- you know, do not sever yourself from the community, you know, use your wealth, use your position to enhance harmony, never use it to say, you know, you just look after yourself. He says things like, uh, what cannot be good for the bee cannot be good for the beehive. And how many Silicon Valley stories are looking at it from that perspective, or are they just literally feathering their nests? So that's kind of the reason why he took them to task. There's nothing, there's not that wealth is, is bad, or good, it depends. Accumulation of wealth, why are you accumulating it? What are you accumulating it for? But they don't dig that deep pool. They'll say, I can accumulate wealth, it's an indifferent. But the Stoics aren't indifferent about things that, that like wealth. They're not indifferent completely to health. They say, all things considered, I, I, would, I would prefer to be healthy. All things considered, I prefer to be wealthy. But I know that neither wealth nor health give me a good character. And if I have those two things, the cost of my character, then all has been in vain. And that's why we took them to task, because they kind of give a very narrow, narrow, carefully curated image of what stoicism is. And that's not stoicism, because they're not looking after the beehive. They're just trying to look after the bee. And then they're ignoring that Marcus really did uh, tell people, be careful with this. If you, you believe that something is good for yourself, but it is no good for the community, then you are morally incorrect and your judgment is poor. That's why we, we really emphasize uh, this in being better, that is about stoicism for a world worth living in, that to look after yourself is to look after the world. And hence the the idea of living the uh, fulfilled life, right, in the sense that um, the complete life, uh, not just for you selfishly, but for all the people in your, your circles of concern, right, that uh, your family, your friends, the the larger community, the globe, the planet, you know, that we, we're intimately involved with all these things. And, and uh, you know, each, each is important in its own way, but no, none of them can be left out without us being impoverished, right? So, um, you know, in the Bible, the, the, there's a, a quote from Jesus in the uh, Sermon on the Mount where it says, uh, uh, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And it sounds like a tall order to be perfect, right? But I, I think a better translation is is complete. You know, you must be complete as your heavenly father is complete, full on, rounded, whole. Um, 
living that kind of life. And I think this is what the, the Stoics are encouraging us to do, right? To to, to live that, uh, you could say excellent, maybe. I know you use that word uh, in the book as well. Um, but whenever you're fulfilling yourself um, in whatever it might be that you're doing, right? The, then you're, you're doing the best that you can do at that particular time. Then that's living the full life, right? Living the... Um, the, the, an excellent life. And we've all had moments, I think, where we've let that happen, you know, or allowed that to happen. And we felt, wow, that was pretty cool. And I seem to do it effortlessly um, because we're, we're allowing this uh, inner guide, this logos or spirit or whatever you want to call it, to, to be there for us, so, you know, as opposed to our egoic self obsessions. I mean, absolutely. Was, to, the Stoics don't have a concept a mouthful, of altruism and selfishness, actually. <laughs> They, they don't have a concept at all of these things because to be selfish doesn't make any sense. It's like, is it appropriate? Then it's not altruistic. If it's not appropriate, if right. it's not appropriate, then you shouldn't do it. If it is appropriate, you should. Selfishness doesn't right. come into it because you say, okay, selfishness is not just looking after yourself because the question is, is that looking after yourself, is that appropriate or not appropriate? That's the key concept here. And I would argue quite strongly as a Stoic is like, your sense of self is tied to community. You, you lose too much of yourself, literally, if you don't uh, acknowledge the relationships you have. If you're a son, if you're, if you're a father, if you're a friend, if you don't take care of your relationships, then you don't have a sense of self in many ways, right? It's not just your physical where my finger tips end. Your sense of self is embodied in your community. And by cutting yourself off from your community, you literally cut into your own soul. You, you just cease to exist meaningful ways really at least psychologically and you know the, the the damage is done when we also divide ourselves off you know from half the community as we see in recent times you know with the divis divisiveness that's happening you know politically socially it's certainly in america and i know it's happening in other parts of the world too you know and that's so sad then because we we can't do any healing you know when we've ch chosen to be uh, one one part and in enmity to another part, and uh, that's a sure sign of uh, distress, isn't it? And in and not healthy way of approach. So I think stoicism invites us to look look at that differently, right? To to see that uh, we're all part. I know many people had a hard time loving, you know, certain political leaders, you know, because the, because of their the way they acted. And, and I would always counsel, listen. That, you know, the behavior may be not something you can't admire, but they're still beautiful children of God, you could say, or children of the universe, right? And and deserving of, of, of our love and forgiveness. Um, that doesn't mean we have to forgive their, their policies or their tactics or whatever. But I think it's if we say, no, I can't see anything good in that person, you know, that means that I, I've, I've refused to see the good in me, right, in some sense. I'm, I've, I've denied it. I mean, Stoics, Stoics don't have the issue that you, you may you say belong to a group or a tribe, but tribalism, which is what you're saying is, is a problem, is incorrect because you're saying that because it means it doesn't matter what comes from whatever argument is said by the other side. I'm not going to listen to it. This is why the ism is dangerous, not the tribe itself. The Stoics are not apolitical. They are political creatures. Stoicism is a political philosophy in the sense that we are called to work for our community, our body belongs to the cosmopolis. It doesn't belong to us. There's a very stoic concept. We're just not left right. or right, regardless of argument. So the problem with tribalism, it's like whatever comes from, say, the right is wrong because I'm the left or vice versa. And the stoics are saying, no, your primary 
allegiance is to the Logos, and Logos is reason. So regardless of who's saying it, you want to align with the reasoned argument. That doesn't mean, actually, that two Stoics wouldn't disagree, because they'd bring you know, points to the table and there'd be nuances, right? But the idea is that you'd create a Socratic dialectic, a Socratic method, where you say, okay, there's points of the left and there's bits of the right that actually make sense. Let's come together and build a policy that is completely reasonable as much as we can, as much as we can create as two human beings who, who sometimes get it wrong. And the problem with tribalism is that we just, as you're saying, we shut ourselves off. We, we cease to acknowledge that other people might have something to say in the argue, you know, something to say of, of value. And you're absolutely right. And then we lose ourselves. And because we no longer, if we're not going to listen to others, then we no longer expect them to listen to us. And therefore, we don't even care what the other person says. And that's what we've seen. Okay, I can just sign this off with my pen or I can just uh, I can just call an election. I think you know, Canada was a good example of the, the breakdown of communication. Like, okay, I'll just call an election and, you know, that would be fine. And, and I think that's, we all lose. We all lose that. We lose our sense of self. We lose our sense of community. And we lose a sense of obligation because we say, you know, my only obligation is towards this tribe and not the bigger cosmopolitan, not the wider humanity or even planet Earth. Right. And I should point out to our listeners that uh, what's cool about the book, amongst other things, is the fact that in each chapter, or pretty much in each chapter, there's a specific example of uh, a socially aware person or a, it's often a rich person or an activist in some way who, who has decided to um, kick over the traces, if you like, to do something a little different, come out, step out of the box um, of conventionality and, and dare to, um, you know, that you can, you can probably cite a few examples for us, Kai. Um, but I, some struck me, the, the, the various activists uh, in uh, the, the multimillionaires in, in Seattle, right, that uh, uh, one of them raised, they helped to raise the, the minimum wage there in that city. And, and then I like the, uh, the swamp apes, right, the, in the, what was it, the, the Florida uh, Everglades, right, that um, a, a group that uh, got a, a number of ex-service people, uh, veterans, to uh, to help eradicate the uh, invasive species like the Burmese python, um, and and you know doing good deed in, in getting rid of something that's affecting the environment, but also helping those people who are often burned out, have PTSD, etc., using their skill set. And I, I love that. That's a very stoic idea, isn't it? Is using um, what we have in, in a in a refreshingly new way, right? Absolutely. I mean, I love the Swamp Apes because my co-author Leonidas was part of that. He he's a veteran of the Iraq war and he did suffer post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. And part of the reason why um, this suffering occurs and is for such a long period of time is because people no longer see their value in society. They find it very difficult, find it very difficult to reintegrate, to use those skill sets. So Swamp Apes was just, you know, an idea of these people have absolutely brilliant skills. They can remove, you know, you know pythons in a way they don't face, have the same sense of fear as a typical right. non-ex-soldier. We can use those skills. They can com contribute to community. They can the build uh, something worth We're, building. Sorry, and sorry, Kai, Tom Papes is very, actually, uh, very Christian. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. 
Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with uh, Kai Whiting. We're talking about his book, Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In. I really enjoyed this book. It's very approachable. I learned a lot about uh, different Stoics and uh, sort of a history lesson, but also their practical um, awareness of life. And the many examples that are given here for us to practice this um, in in our own lives. And so it's, it is for stoicism for a world worth living in. And again, we, we know sometimes we spend all our time trying to better the world. You know, if the world was better, I'd feel happy. Well, we can't do that. If stoic doesn't approach life like that, um, it makes a world worth living in because of the choices that we we take in the way we approach that world. And, um, and and I love that idea. And it's very a unity idea, too. We create our own reality, in a sense, um, rather than wait for everything to be perfect, because it never will be perfect out there, it seems to me. You know, it's always uh, fragmented and, and uh, broken, um, as we are in some way. But we find that um, wealth of meaning, and then life becomes uh, meaningful in itself. So... Um, and I love that about Marcus Aurelius, Kai. You know, his, his, he, had, he had a tough time of it. You know, he was constantly battling the Germanic tribes and the Parthians and then, then dealing with the internecine fighting at home and whatnot, and, and yet remained incredibly uh, calm and centered. In fact, that's the way it seems when you read his meditations. Maybe he needed to write all that down to remind himself to be, you know, calm and centered, right? Absolutely. I mean, I love meditations because it was never meant to be published. So it's really funny. Right. Again, the Silicon Valley Stoics talk about, you know, being wealthy and being powerful. And that's great because you can then help you become even more powerful. And, and the most powerful man on the planet had this quiet diary that he would have done as he withdrew from the battlefield, literally, because he was on the front line. He wasn't sitting behind it, hoping, sending men to their death. He was sitting in it. And he sits and he he writes in Greek. You know, he's he's in the most thoughts. You know, the, the leader of the Roman Empire is writing in Greek. Uh, that, that's just lovely, I think. And he gets a bad rep amongst Christians, for example, because they say he sends many Christians to death. But when I look at the historical record, he's actually mocked by his fellow Romans during the period that this, that he's actually being the emperor because they say that he's silly because he wants the swords in, in the arena to be blunt because he's sick of the bloodshed so i it's only later on you actually get um christians claiming that marcus Aurelius is, is this horrendously unpleasant evil individual going around murdering christians and it just didn't seem at least whilst he was sitting in the arena that way because he would say please blunt the swords and when there was a rebellion one of his punishments was not to murder the rebels, but to say, you can't have sport whilst I am in power. <laughs> so, so he said, that's it. There's been, you know, there's been a mutiny against me and the whole town was against me. And you guys, you can't have your arena sports. 
that's your punishment. So it's really interesting that he's living in a, in a very bloodthirsty society. He's living where he's, you know, he's seeing hands being cut off. He's seeing legs being cut off. And he's saying this is why it's so dangerous to sever yourself from your community. We are fortunate being humans because we have the logos in us to be able to reconnect with the community. So that's something that it's very, very powerful. And I just wish that people, when they reflected on Stoicism, would reflect on that fundamentally our strengths don't come from what we earn or our status or even our health but our ability to be rooted into the logos and to be connected with one, one another and recognize the good that resides in all of us in fact it resides in including in rocks for example from a state perspective and that's really lost i think when you take an aviastic interpretation or you take a silicon valley stoic interpretation because that that's just put by the wayside and that's so it's such a shame, I think, Paul. Right, yeah, there, there is a holism around Stoicism, isn't there, that uh, encompasses so much. You know, when you mentioned that uh, in the book about banning, uh, you know, chariot races and whatnot, I was thinking about a modern-day example, you know. The Premier League is cancelled, you know, the NFL is off for this year. And I thought that, that would annoy a lot of people because a lot of people are obsessed with those, those various sporting uh, outlets if you like and uh, I, I can imagine the um in london you know if chelsea couldn't play or whatever that, there would be a, there would be thousands upon thousands of very angry people so yeah that, that would be a good thing to, to ban if you wanted to annoy people um but without killing them <laughs> i like that so some people may say um you know this is all very nice, but I, I'm on a short uh, leash, you know, and life hasn't treated me very well. Uh, I'm all, I'm on a limited amount of money, or I am ill. Um, you know, this COVID thing is really getting on top of me right now. Uh, the political world is all going to, you know, to hell in a handbasket. Um, you know, I don't feel like I've got much choice, right? Um, I, I'm not in control of anything. Well, what would the Stoics say to that? I think Epictetus is clear here. He says, like, you know, what are you going to do? What is the worst you can do to me? Fetter my leg? Then all you've done is chain me. You haven't chained my character. You haven't chained my mind. And even if you remove my head, you've just cut off my poor head from its poor body. You haven't destroyed my character. So he would point out, as did Viktor Frankl, who based logotherapy on a lot of stoic concepts. It wasn't stoicism per se, but there was definitely stoic concepts involved. Is The last thing that someone can take from you is your attitude. You can be going through what might people might call hell. You can be having a very tough life. The only person that can give that up, can give up the one thing worth having your character is you. That's it. When, you know, for example, if I lose my mind because I'm angry, the fact is I lost my mind, right? I've lost the only thing that Stoics saw of value. And a lot of people might criticize that. They might say, oh, you, you know, it's easy for you to say, you know, you're British, you know, how hard life, how hard could life have possibly been? Even if I had the easiest, quote unquote, of life, I still have nothing more value than you do. Because if I destroy my character and you keep yours and you've kept the only thing that should be valued, it doesn't mean that, in, that Stoics are disinterested, you know, in people suffering because of uh, lack of material um, goods. But they say that suffering is potentially, you know, economic or social, but it's not to do with character. Otherwise, the alternative is worse, right? We're saying, well, you can't possibly have a good character unless you have wealth, which is Aristotelian argument. So though people don't like the fact that Stoics say, well, that these things don't matter, they go, well, it's easy 
you to say it's like what would you prefer me to say that you're 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 damned <laughs> morally damned because you can't possibly work on your character because you're too poor to do so aristotle's argument stokes like no those stuff sometimes they just get in the way it doesn't mean always because i don't think you know everything always gets in your way but that can get in your way so it's like you know really focus and crystallize what is significant to you there are many people you all know yourself for being irreverent who are wealthy and healthy and they still come to you and they're a wreck they're still having a miserable life because they are causing their own misery and that's what the stoics would say the only person that can oppress you is you why doesn't fit very well for example with marxism although you still can highlight exploitation is not helpful but in terms of oppression you're the only person who can impress yourself as once you get to say they respect roughly say the age of 14 when you can start to work in stoicism into your life or at least virtue ethics because it doesn't have to be stoicism per se right and we would say you know in unity you know we can be proactive rather than reactive to things uh, we, we always have that choice right to create meaning and we're, we're very fond of uh, victor frankl and his um, his testimony, you know, the, the, the hard times he had in this logotherapy that he created is um, it's very attractive, isn't it? It's, it's the idea that even in the worst of circumstances, you know, I still have control over my, like you said, my attitude, my approach, my what I give meaning to, if you like, in, in even the most horrific of circumstances. And, and uh, we see it in, in many people, right, uh, uh, who have come through uh, trauma or whatnot, and, and have, uh, you know, gathered to, uh, some spirit within them that allows them to to triumph in, in, in adverse circumstances. I think collectively that works too, doesn't it? You mentioned the um, the NHS, the National Health Service in, in England, in Britain, was uh, asking for volunteers at one time during the COVID uh, pandemic. And I think I read it rightly that, you know, like 450,000 people uh, responded within the first week to help in some way. And, and I thought that's testimony right there to our willingness and our desire to be helpful. Right. And I think we see examples of that el elsewhere after 9-11, for instance, there was a sheer outpouring of people wanting to help in some way. Um, if a car accident happens or whatever, there's usually people there to help. Um, and uh, this is testimony, I think, that deep within us, we have that um, that quality that, that wants to connect, right, that wants to do the right thing. Absolutely. I, I mean, I often feel that in terms when people have this sort of negative attitude is because they look at the leaders. <laughs> they look at the leaders of society that because of the way our society is structured have been clawing their way up. And of course, if you claw your way up, you scratch people. <laughs> That's what happens when you claw. But when we look outside of, most unfortunately mostly you know most leaders being that way we do see kindness i do honestly believe that if we remained rooted in the logos we cannot we cannot do anything but look after the beehive we are not inherently evil in, in stoicism there is no original sin in stoicism right you, you're one step away every time from virtue or vice if that were not the case they, you would lose the stoic claim that you're in control of your actions attitude and thoughts so at any given moment you can you can opt for good or you can backslide to you know a poor judgment a, a, a broken system you choose that doesn't mean that you get to choose and wave a magic wand as you've rightly pointed out there are systemic failures right so it doesn't no matter how hard 
life can get. There are only a few degrees that I can move. You've captured it beautifully when you've said, you know, this short leash. Yes, I do possibly have a short leash, but I can still choose which stones I step on and step over and kick as I walk along the car with the short leash. So again, the Silicon Valley thing frustrates me somewhat. That is not a particularly stoic concept to be frustrated with something I can't control because of the the ideal that, oh, you just need to do one, two, three, and you'll get A, B, and C. Well, if I'm a man, I can perhaps be assertive in a meeting. If I'm a woman, perhaps if I do exactly the same thing, my colleagues don't see me in the same way. So again, it's it's about looking at who am I and really what degrees of freedom do I have? And that doesn't mean that I ignore the injustice. It just puts my, put myself in a better position to address it. So there is some sense of stoicism, like tidy up your own bedroom, right? There is some sense of keep your house in order, but not so that you ignore the plight of others, but rather how can I help others? Well, first I need to know how to tidy up a very small space and just learn those skills. And then I can reach out, then I can change things. Right. Because if we just try to change things and become like a ball in the China shop, uh, we actually cause a lot of damage. So the Stoics are sort of cautious. They're not saying ignore injustice. They're not saying don't do anything. It's beyond your control. But they are saying take a moment, tra- get trained, know something, learn how the situation works and don't be a ball in a China shop. Be gentle, but you know, use a scalpel when you uh, create change. Does that make sense, Paul? Yes, it does. And and you have a chapter, you know, entitled Only the Educated are Free. And I don't think you're referring to we all got to go out and get a bunch of degrees. You know, it's not that kind of education, is it? It's more like what Socrates said or subscribed to him anyway. You know, the examine the unexamined life is not worth living. Right. Um, to to examine something, to to look carefully and clearly at something is it, huge. Right. It's It's our ability to get beyond a small world in, into a larger awareness. The, I think you called it the view from above. You know, the Marcus Aurelius always saw from the, the higher perspective, not just his own personal insights, but for, from a larger a global perspective, a cosmic perspective even. So, you know, we are called upon to do that, right? To look, to learn. I want to be, um, you know, endlessly teachable even till I die, right? Not well, I know everything now. I've made my mind up and this is the way it is. You know, that seems foolishness to me. Absolutely. And I think that's clear when, you know, when you're a teenager, you do think, you know, a lot. You do think, you know, there is everything yeah. to know, which is why there's a lot of young activists. Now, you know, I, I, if you are a young activist, I'd like to you know, encourage you and, and say, you know, good that you you care about the world but be careful where you tread right be careful as you walk in that direction of course walk in that direction but walk carefully be be you know be direct where you need to be direct of course but be careful right the stoics will never throw up you know let's have a revolution destroy everything at the same time let's not keep conservative values for the sake of keeping them and i think the best activists are the ones that can that can walk that tightrope and it takes time paul as you know yourself it takes time to get to know christ for example it get to, you know to dig deep into christ's message and not you know when he was in the temple when he was saying you know you know, how dare you do this? It wasn't out of foolishness he was doing it. As a, as a child, he was marveled at for his knowledge, for talking to others, right, when he was about 11 or 12. And people forget that. They try to just sort of think of the Christ who is frustrated and shouting in the temple. They don't remember the Christ who's sitting and, and teaching and learning and spending time with people. 
right? And I right. think that's key to to remember, if you are Christian, to remember, yes, Christ had his moment where he's saying, like, you know, why are you doing this? Christ has his humility, right? When he puts, you know, cure, you know someone slices off the ear and he's like, what are you doing? And there's humility in that, right? And they forget that Christ. So they say, well, I'm, you know, I'm Christian and I want to be an activist because I want to be like Christ. Christ has very different faces to different people because that's how how God works in general, right? So again, the Stoics would say, like, be careful how you approach. Some people might need a little bit more assertiveness. Uh, some people might need you to be calm and quiet. Some people, you know, they might be against you because they just don't know you, and you sort of hammering on and thinking everything I'm everything I must hit is a nail. You're going, you're going to come against friction. And although there is a popular Stoic influence book, Obstacle is the Way. Well, that depends in Stoicism. Maybe it's just an obstacle, right, Paul? Some obstacles are not the way at all. Some obstacles are just obstacles. And Stoicism is about learning what the difference is between them. Right. Yeah. And using common sense, you know, that's another thing I like about Stoicism. Uh, you know, sometimes we get too far off, especially in, in unity and new thought or new agey thinking. You know, we, we, we get involved with uh, magic thinking or, you know, we think that everything has a significance and, you know, maybe some higher angelic forces or whatever it is are talking to us. And sometimes it's OK, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe there are some elements like that, but really, you know, stay grounded, right? Just, just uh, don't, don't interpret too much. By the way, I know we've used the word activist. I got a friend in Britain who's anathema to that phrase, and he doesn't like the word woke either, or uh, um, anything that's signaling something. You know, virtue signaling and all that. Uh, and I understand what he's saying. You know, it can become a, uh, another little um, excuse for not living authentically. Got it? You know, to. Uh, but, but I think true activism is different. You know, that, that's where you're, you're really, you know, in alignment with something that you truly believe is, is yours to do. But, you know, pretending to be an activist by signaling, look how virtuous I am, that, that's a little different, right? And I, and I like stoicism because it always, uh, you know, cuts to the chase to, to honesty as, as Jesus did. You know, it didn't, it didn't suffer fools gladly. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Metonius Rufus is Paul the Apostle's contemporary, and it's the same thing. Activism to me is about taking action. Make, you know, creating noise is not taking action. Making other right. people feel bad for the sake of it is not taking action. Sometimes taking action is putting your house in order. There is value in that, right? So that sounds like a very conservative position. But take taking action is to do what needs to be done, and that isn't. And people say, oh, that means screaming. That means shaming. That means shouting on Twitter, being a keyboard warrior, waking up and being woke. Well, there are aspects of, of woke, um, you know, woke politics that do highlight some really key things that need to be challenged. But if all we're doing is making others feel bad or cancelling others, what we're saying is that some people aren't worthy of being part of our community or aren't worthy of being part of our cosmopolis. And the answer is that doesn't make the ideas go away. If it's the ideas that need to be talked through then counseling does the counseling someone does the absolute opposite right that's the irony there so i think it's it's clear paul that your your colleague or friend is absolutely right that we have to be careful that we don't label all activists as good or all activists is bad or that all activism is is say work it really is it's really like okay what is it doing what is its purpose what is the reason 
happen behind that. If you can't answer that in a, in a rational way, then it's not activism at all. At least it's not useful. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, I hope he listens to the show and <laughs> and understands what we're talking about, or at least, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I think you give, gave a great answer there. You know, one of the, my favorite chapters in the book is the one uh, about living according to nature, right? And, and nature, both, you know, our own inner natures, um, the harmonies within our, our body, mind, uh, spirit system here, but also the, the larger nature, right? Mother nature and uh, the wisdom that's all around us. And uh, I, I think it was uh, Posidon, what was it, Posidonius that uh, you, you focus on in that chapter uh, quite a bit. And I love that idea that, you know, he, he found even in the most mundane of things, uh, the rocks, as you referred to earlier, that, that, that there's, there's sentience, right? There's, there's, there's intelligence within everything. Absolutely, there's order. And I love the way that you translated perfect for complete. This completeness in a rock, right? Well, that rock, what intelligence can a rock possibly have? Completeness. To know what its role right. is and to act accordingly. And humans, we don't always act accordingly. There was a very sad story in the news that, that in the Faroe Islands, 1,500 dolphins were murdered, as far as I'm concerned, unjust killing being termed, just for the, the crime, quote unquote, of swimming close to the Faroe shore. It's like, have we, you know, Again, have we lost our minds? Like, even if it's a tradition, not that all traditions are good, but if it is a tradition important, is 1,500 in harmony with the world? Do we need to remove intelligent creatures to show that we're complete? The answer is no. Again, how can removing such a number, just because it's a sport, it seems, or tradition, how can that be in harmony with Mother Nature? Is there not other yeah, things they... that, that we can do? Yeah, it, and it has been done for, you know, millennia, right, supposedly in the Faroe Islands. and But the bay runs red with the blood, doesn't it? So they say, you know, it's it's pretty graphic. It's pretty horrific what uh, what goes on there. But we see, we see the same thing all over the world, you know, with traditions that perhaps honored the, the tribe at the time, you know, when they were in a different space, uh, they needed to eat and, and, and provide for their families. Now it's become egregious right but we, we haven't shifted our mentality yet and i think this is true you know if we're going to deal with uh, the climate change and whatnot there has to be a shift in, in, in a paradigm shift in the way we have approached nature you know rather than a, a resource to be mined and exploited but as some as, as a sacred presence you know we can still utilize it but but see it in a different light otherwise i think we're just going to destroy and we're not going to destroy nature because it will come back uh, we will destroy ourselves in the process and, and be another casualty of, of evolution, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the funny thing is, like the hunter, you know, traditionally, hunter gatherers, if we're going back far enough, would see that in nature, right? And again, with the Faroese, because they would have said to me, but it's a tradition. I'm like, okay, was it traditional to use a jet ski? Because I didn't see them using rowing boats. I don't think they would have been able to kill yeah. 1,500 dolphins if they had used traditional. And again, so I'm like, okay, let's do tradition. What were they using in the 11th century? Let's use that. Because there's no way that 1,500 dolphins would have met their death. Because it's easy to do it when you're on a jet ski and you've got petrol or diesel fueling you instead of your arms and legs. You'd be pretty tired by the end of the day if you were going to do that. So that's, again, another thing that I kind of say, well, okay, let's look at the reason. You say you want to keep a tradition, but you're not actually using your traditional methods. So you're not keeping your tradition. You're actually right. modifying it. And if you're going to 
modify it in that way why not modify it and say we you know there's a we're not going to kill this many because we don't need there's 53,000 of us we don't need to kill 1,500 dolphins because we just don't eat them so I think that's also again where Sturzum steps in it's not that I'm against traditional views or traditional practices but when I see a jet ski I start to think with my eyebrows raised quite high where is the tradition in that right and I think you're right. absolutely right. It's about looking at, again, harmony and looking at what is our responsibility. Stoicism is not a, not a philosophy of rights. We spend a lot of time, especially young people, uh, saying, I deserve this, I have a right to this, I have a right to that. Stoicism says, no, rights are where giving people rights is where the powerful give people who are less powerful in society the ability to do something. Obligations means the most powerful actually have to do the most work and they really wish young people were talking about obligations they had and obligations society had towards them instead of rights because i don't think that's actually helpful in many many ways outside of very strict legal context fascinating stuff let me tell people about next week's show and then we'll have our final thoughts before the end i can't believe it's rushed by so quickly today but been fascinating. Wonderful book, folks. Get it if you can. Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In. Not just to find out more about Stoicism, but to live a wiser life. There, there is so much in these pages that, that can help you uh, rethink, uh, re-examine yourself, uh, and hopefully transform yourself. Uh, next week, I talk with a religious studies professor uh, and author, Vanessa R. Sasson, about her new book, it's entitled um, Yosudara and the Buddha. It's about the Buddha's wife, which is interesting, because he was married, had a child. Um, so we'll find out more about Yosudara and the Buddha. So join me next week for that. Um, so final thoughts. What, what would you like to impart to our listeners today that we haven't covered so far? One, one thing that they can use in their lives this week. I think know thyself, which is the oracle. Above the oracle was neither know thyself. None of the none of the information that is provided in the book is useful to you if you don't know who you are and where you want to go. As Seneca says, if you don't know where you where you want to go, then no wind is favorable. So get to know yourself and dig deep in that, and don't take my answers as the solution. You have the solution, not me. Or as George Harrison said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah the modern, absolutely. Modern reworking of, this, of that wisdom, yeah. Um, yeah, so know yourself. Uh, the, over the oracle at uh, the Delphi, yeah, the very wise uh, words, I think. So we can all uh, take that into act. Who am I in truth? You know, am I this body, this role, or am I spirit? Thanks for listening, folks. And thank you, Guy, for being with us. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. 
You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.